0: Imagine you're a secret agent and your boss assigns you the mission. You have your target, your team, and, of course, your obstacles. The mission I'm talking about happens in downtown St. Louis, 1964. It's noon on July 14th, and Percy Green is the man in charge. He has scoped out the destination, and his team is ready to move. Their main concern? Getting caught before they accomplish the mission.
1: We saw some people that appeared to be walking in our direction, and we were wondering at the time whether or not someone had had tipped off the police.
0: Fortunately, the team's diversion in the heart of St. Louis is working.
1: So we set up a picket line at the old courthouse, announced to the press that we were going to have some people arrested.
0: So with the press and authorities distracted, Percy and his partner Richard Daly focus on the real destination, the half-built St. Louis Arch a federally-funded project taken on by the McDonald Construction Company. Why the Arch? Well, you see, this is actually a protest, and the target location is the Arch. Percy Green is a black St. Louis-born activist and member of the Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE. His team at CORE finds the Arch's construction crew has no black workers. And Percy wants the McDonald Construction Company to change that. He wants to let the world know a federally funded national monument is guilty of racial discrimination. Percy's solution? Civil disobedience in the form of climbing the arch.
1: They had a cylinder out ladder going up the, both legs of the arch. And we thought that we could uh, return at some point in time and climb it in protest.
0: At lunchtime, without a worker in sight on the arch grounds, Percy and Richard, a white corps member, make their move. They disguise themselves as construction workers, Levi's,
1: T-shirts, and boots. When we got to the the leg of the arch, we just started climbing. And the uh, men, the the arch at the time, the men were working at the 300-foot point.
0: I was going to ask, how high did you get?
1: We, We climbed 125 feet up.
0: Percy and Richard stopped climbing there. They don't want to endanger workers by clogging the ladder in case of an accident.
1: We made our point by climbing over a hundred and some odd feet. Right. So it wouldn't be no point in trying to uh, break any records or anything of that right. nature. It was most important.
0: And then the men wait.
1: Well, we were there for a good five and a half hours. Wow. We told them at the time that we were going to stay there until they hired 1,000 blacks, workers, in all job classifications.
0: Percy knows that number's outlandish. Only about 25 workers are at the arch grounds at a time during the day. Not to mention Percy is working under a time limit because he still has to go to work that evening at his job. Even a daring activist has to pay his bills. Percy anticipates the police will be waiting to arrest them, so he has already hired a bail bondsman. That way, he can make it to work on time. But that doesn't mean Percy is going to let the police take him easily.
1: And so 5.30, between 5.30 and 6 o'clock, we decided to come down, and immediately, me being black, I was placed under arrest immediately. My partner, Dick Daly, he was, um, they did arrest him until, uh, un- until after I was arrested, and that's when he went limp. So we had a thing about not walking to jail. They were going to have to carry us. And our rationale was that if anyone should be arrested and be going to jail, it should be the builders of uh, the arch because they were denying African-Americans decent-paying jobs by discriminating against uh, uh, blacks.
0: Percy is released in time to shower and make it to work before his shift starts at midnight. Little does Percy know, though, While his protest wouldn't bring any change to the Arches' construction crew, it would lead to something else, a landmark employment discrimination case, one that goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. Welcome to Show Me the State, the program where we explore the strange, misunderstood stories of Missouri's past and try to figure out what really happened, why did it happen, and how has that shaped the state today? I'm Christopher Husted. Before we get to the Supreme Court, let's talk about where we're at. It's 1964, and we're in the heat of the civil rights movement. In June, a month before Percy's protest at the Arch, protests in St. Augustine, Florida are reaching a fever pitch. Martin Luther King Jr. and hundreds of others are arrested and the unrest is receiving attention worldwide. In response, lawmakers take action and pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It's enacted on July 2nd. It doesn't include any protections against employment discrimination yet that will come later. Unfortunately for Percy, those protections won't arrive until the following year. In the meantime, his company fires him. During the time of his arch protest, Percy is working for McDonnell Douglas, an aerospace manufacturing company that later merged with Boeing. Again, that's McDonnell Douglas, no, not McDonald Construction Company, which built the Arch. I know, that's a bit confusing, even for Percy and I.
1: The contractor of the Arch, whose name was McDonnell also, but it was not... (laughs) It was not spelled the same as the the aircraft company.
0: Right. McDonald and McDonnell are different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's confusing for some people, especially on the radio if you can't see it spelled out. (laughs)
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Percy starts working at McDonnell Douglas in 1958 as an electrical mechanic. It's a union job, but he moves to the non-union research and development team to work on Project Mercury, an early space program. After his protest, McDonnell Douglas fires Percy on his birthday, August 28th. The company blames budget cuts. But as the only black technician in his division, Percy is surprised to be let go if budget cuts were the reason.
1: seemed like to me that... And since they didn't have a sufficient number of blacks in the first place, that if they were going to lay off, they should uh, lay off whomever they would lay off, but certainly not the only black research and development technician that they had. Of course, uh, they didn't accept my argument.
0: At the time of Percy's layoff, McDonnell Douglas announces openings for electrical mechanics, his former position at the company. This only makes Percy more confused.
1: Now, if they were operating in you know, fairly, you would think that if they were going to cut research and development technicians, they would have offered me to go back to by the job that I had had prior to, which was the union job. But instead, I mean, they wanted me out altogether.
0: After the layoff, Percy continues his activism. Following the arch protest, Percy and other members break off from CORE. The organization is moving away from acts of civil disobedience. So Percy and others start a group called Action to continue doing direct nonviolent protests. Action protests twice at McDonnell Douglas because its workplace of thousands is only 5% black. The incidents include parking cars outside the factory entrance at shift change and using a chain to lock McDonnell Douglas executives in an office building. Despite these protests, Percy is looking to return to McDonnell Douglas.
1: I was unemployed and I needed needed work and uh, the job was paying a pretty decent salary at the time, you know so
0: and you were qualified for it
1: And I was qualified yeah
0: And that qualification is important. You see in July 1965, one year after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was enacted, Title 7 of the Act goes into effect. What's Title 7? It prohibits employment discrimination on five protected classes. Those protected classes are race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. With Title VII's passing, Percy knows he has a new form of protection, so he applies in July 1965 for his former position, one he knows he's qualified for.
1: Then I go back, make, a new, I make an application for the job that they were still running ads in the newspaper for as a radio and electric mechanic. And uh, they were, I guess they were shocked uh, but anyway, they refused to hire me, and that started the uh, the proceedings of the Green versus McDonald case.
0: After the rejection, Percy files his case, McDonnell Douglas versus Green, on the basis of racial discrimination and unfair treatment due to civil rights activities. His case directly questions Title VII. How can his race be protected from discrimination if he isn't hired for a job that he's qualified for? Percy's case is one of the first to challenge Title VII. It's also one of the first individual discrimination cases.
2: So the entire field of employment discrimination looked very different than it does today. Uh, Many of the cases challenged facially discriminatory employment practices that impacted many employees across the board.
0: That's Sandra Spirino, professor of law at the University of Cincinnati College of Law, Her expertise is in employment discrimination. Having little precedence wasn't the only difficulty in Percy's case. Title VII cases can only be won if there is intentional discrimination, which can be very tough to prove. Chuck Henson is the trial practice professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law. His expertise is in employment discrimination and Title VII. He says Title VII made employers
3: hide obvious forms of discrimination making
0: it harder for employees to identify
3: it. How are you able to prove employment discrimination when you don't actually have somebody saying, I'm firing you because you are a member of this protected class? It's called direct evidence of discrimination. Most direct evidence of discrimination went away, and we started to use code words or behave in different ways to signal the same thing, which is called circumstantial evidence. Percy's case first goes to
0: the U.S. District Court for Eastern Missouri. Percy argues he was qualified for the job and wasn't hired due to his race and protest activities. McDonnell Douglas says Percy was rejected because those activities were illegal. The district court judge sides with McDonnell Douglas. Percy then appeals the case to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. There, the judge looks at Percy's protest activities. The court rules those activities are a subjective reason to deny Percy a job because it ignores his qualifications. Because Percy was qualified and was still denied, the appeals court sides with Percy. Now, did McDonnell Douglas try to
3: rework their strategy after this? No. Because they can't? No. That was the argument they made? Well, that's the argument they made, yes. And now that that's removed, essentially, well, for a moment. Okay. Right? So. Oh, no, there's more drama. There's more <laughs> drama. Yes, of course there's
0: more drama, right? That drama happens in the U.S. Supreme Court. McDonnell Douglas appeals the case after losing in the appeals court. And in 1973, 1973, almost 10 years after Percy was laid off by McDonnell Douglas, the case reaches the nation's highest court. In the meantime, Percy has not been sitting by idly. After McDonnell Douglas denied him his former position, Percy worked as an inspector at a furniture company. He then led a work training program in collaboration with the Office of Equal Opportunities Poverty Program. When the case reaches the Supreme Court again in 1973, Percy is a third year student at St. Louis University studying for a bachelor's degree in political science. But finally, for Percy, The Supreme Court's ruling will determine the outcome of his long fight with McDonnell Douglas and set up a legal precedent for employment discrimination still used today. We'll be right back. McDonnell Douglas versus Green finally reaches the Supreme Court in 1973. It will become a landmark case for Title VII and employment discrimination.
2: Because McDonnell Douglas was one of the first major cases that the Supreme Court took about Title VII, the courts were really still struggling to figure out how Title VII itself worked.
0: The Supreme Court's ruling will help guide Title VII cases going forward. The court does this by creating a framework for deciding such cases. That framework is known as the McDonnell Douglas Burden Shifting Framework. Kind of a mouthful, I know, so let's break it down. The McDonnell Douglas Burden Shifting Framework happens in three steps. First, the plaintiff or employee must establish a prima facie case. I know, more confusing words. To put it simply, the employee must show discrimination might have taken place.
2: In Mr. Green's case, for example, The court required him to show that he was in a protected class, so his protected class was race because he brought a race discrimination suit, that he applied for a job, which he did, that he met the basic qualifications for the job, and that the company passed him over and kept looking for people to fill the position. So Mr. Green met all of those factors.
0: The second part of the framework involves the employer they must give what the court calls a legitimate, non-discriminatory reason for rejecting the employee. In the case of McDonnell Douglas, their reason is Percy's illegal protests.
2: In the second step, the court really wants to hear from the employer about what its reasoning is for why it made the decision that the parties are arguing about.
0: If the employer gives an adequate reason, the burden then shifts back to the employee in the third step. That's where the framework gets its burden-shifting name. In this final step, the employee must show discrimination took place. They must prove the employer rejected them because of their protected class. How the Supreme Court defines this step is important. It says employees do not need direct proof of discrimination to win a Title VII case.
2: And what McDonnell Douglas does is it clarifies that the plaintiff or the worker is not required to have smoking gun evidence in this third step. The employee is not required to have a statement from a supervisor saying something like, I refuse to hire you because of your race, or I refuse to hire you because of your sex. If the employer's reason seems fishy uh, or is not credible, this alone can establish discrimination.
0: So to review, step one, the employee shows discrimination might have happened. Then step two, The employer gives a legitimate non-discriminatory reason why they let go or didn't hire the employee. Then step three, the employee shows evidence that they were rejected because of their protected class. With this framework in place, the Supreme Court sends the McDonnell Douglas versus Green case back down to the district court. They rule in favor of McDonnell Douglas because on the third step, Percy is unable to prove he was rejected because of his race. And that's the rub of the framework. The employee may not need a smoking gun, but they still need evidence that is substantial enough to show intentional discrimination. Percy then appeals the case to the Eighth Circuit Court, which sides with McDonnell Douglas in January 1976, and thus closes the case almost 12 years after Percy's arch protest.
1: You know, I didn't have no real thinking that the Supreme Court was going to rule in my favor. And as it turned out, uh, I was correct. And so, therefore, with McDonald having all of the influence of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the representative, the senators, and all of the politics, and then if the, uh, the Supreme Court was all white also, why would they uh, go out of their way to be fair uh, in reference to me?
0: Under the McDonnell Douglas burden-shifting framework, Percy finds he is unable to win his case. On that third step, it's simply too difficult to show substantial evidence of discrimination. Exactly 20 years later, it becomes even more difficult to win a Title VII case when the framework is reinterpreted. In 1993, the Supreme Court hears a new employment discrimination case. It's called St. Mary's Honor Center versus Hicks. The court rules the employer can give any legitimate, non-discriminatory
3: reason, even if it isn't true. It takes the Supreme Court 20 years to explain, first of all, no, it doesn't have to be the real reason. It just has to be a reason. So long as an employer, in response to the prima facie case, says, no, here's my reason, then the, the presumption of discrimination, this proxy, goes away entirely. The employer bears no burden of proof at all. It's effectively asking someone to prove I didn't discriminate. And we've never asked for that. This interpretation makes step three even harder for the employee. And it's on the shoulders of the employee to prove it was because of race. And while showing that the employer lied could allow someone to say, yes, it was because of race, the fact that the employer lied doesn't prove that it was. So it always shifts back regardless. Always, right? Just because you proved it was a lie doesn't mean you win. It only means that you could
0: win. Percy says interpretations of his case have made it too hard to win in an employment discrimination suit today.
1: The bar is set so high to prove cases of racial discrimination to the extent that you find very, very, very few lawyers that that even want to take such a case.
0: But despite cases only becoming more difficult for employees to win over time, McDonald Douglas versus Green is still very important today.
2: McDonald Douglas has had an incredible effect on employment discrimination law. In fact, I, I wrote a book called McDonald Douglas, the most important case in employment discrimination law. So courts <laughs> have used the test in more than 10,000 cases. And so wow, almost 10, every 000? intentional discrimination case that is filed uses McDonald Douglas.
0: Sandra says the framework tends to just distract judges. She says they need to focus on the discrimination in question.
2: The court is worried about what this part of McDonnell Douglas means or what it doesn't mean. Then the courts are really shying away from the main question in the case, which is did discrimination happen.
0: Henson says the framework has made cases even harder for employees to win if they are in multiple
3: protected classes. God forbid you're a black woman. They never win. If you think about how things have evolved historically in our society. There are hierarchies, right? White men are at the top of the hierarchy. Uh, Then come white women. Then come others. At the bottom of other is black women.
0: Henson says workers have little hope to win employment discrimination cases under the McDonnell-Douglas framework. If it were to change, he says it wouldn't be through the courts because the case is too
3: established in Title VII law. Never going to happen. Look, you'd have to scrap this very important part of Title VII, which says intentional discrimination, and that the empo- that the burden is on the employee to show intentional discrimination. Never going to happen. Could it be a legislative change? Well, it would have to happen that way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and again, where have you been? Never going to happen. <laughs> uh, they can't agree on, you know, it, that it's daylight when the sun's out.
0: Percy says if one good thing came from his case, it's that Technically, employees no longer need smoking gun evidence to win a case.
1: See, before my particular case, the only way you could prove racial discrimination is if the person who committed the act uh, would admit that they had willfully discriminated against uh, the person. Right. And you know the likelihood of that was, uh, was <laughs> next to none. And so the Green versus McDonald case, it, at least it, it allowed for circumstantial evidence. So that part of it was positive, but it didn't help me economically.
0: Although Percy didn't get the job or back pay he wanted from his case, he stayed busy in the St. Louis area. Action practiced direct protest for 20 years. He got a master's degree in social work from Washington University and managed housing development in St. Louis's Laclede town. And of course, he still supports social activism.
1: Actions speak louder than words. Uh, you have to disrupt. People are not poor by choice and therefore you have to uh, bring about awareness or consciousness that the rich have to uh, pay more, uh, have to bear a great deal of the responsibility and not be so greedy.
0: While Percy is still working to bring change in St. Louis, it's clear how his case has changed Title VII law. For better or worse, It has been used in more than 10,000 cases and has been interpreted by the Supreme Court more than 15 times. For the man who climbed the arch, one could say Percy Green's story started at the bottom, but his legacy in the fight against employment discrimination ensures he won't ever come down. Show Me the State is produced at KBIA at the Missouri School of Journalism. Sam Mosier produced this episode. The supervising producer and reporter is me, Christopher Husted. Our managing editor is Ryan Fumuliner. Our theme music and original scoring was created by Columbia band Loose Loose. Thank you to the Reynolds Journalism Institute and to the Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy.